0: Break break breakthrough break breakthrough Break break breakthrough Break breakthrough. 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 breakthrough You are now listening to Breakthrough News <laughs> It's 5 p.m. You're listening to Breakthrough News and this is The Punch Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back with you here on The Punch Out, 25th of May, 2021. Very happy to be with you as we continue uh, this week here. We've got plenty for you on the show. As we always do, We're going to be talking about Iran's presidential race, which is shaping up here in terms of who the candidates will be. Ongoing turmoil in the African nation of Mali. But before we get to either of those two very important stories, we want to start with an important win for BDS in Georgia. Well, in a major setback for advocates of apartheid, Federal court struck down Georgia's anti boycott, divestment, and sanctions, or BDS law, after journalist Abby Martin filed a lawsuit, filing a canceled speaking engagement because of the law in question. Martin was supported in the lawsuit by the Partnership for its Civil Justice Fund and the Council for American Islamic Relations. The defeat of the Georgia provision is being heralded around the country as a major setback to attempts in a number of states to find ways to criminalize the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement. As Abby Martin herself noted about the victory, "quote The government of Israel has pushed state legislatures to enact these laws only because they know that sympathy and support for the population they brutalize, occupy, ethnically cleanse, and sub- subject to apartheid is finally growing in popular consciousness. They want to hold back the tide of justice by preemptively restricting the right of American citizens to peacefully take a stand against their crimes. Now, the law in question, which dates to 2016, required that any quote unquote independent contractor at any state run institution who is paid $1,000 or more was required to sign a pledge that they would not engage in any boycott of Israel. Now, since most speakers at college events are paid $1,000 or more, it essentially meant an outright ban on anyone speaking at any Georgia State University who is an advocate of BDS, which of course, was the intent of the law. As the court has now ruled, this clearly violates the First Amendment. Georgia was making (laughs) just an absurd case that the law was designed to further legitimate quote-unquote foreign policy interests, specifically support for Israel. Judge Mark Cohen was unwilling to accept that logic, noting in his ruling, quote, even assuming that Georgia's interest in further foreign policy goals regarding relations with Israel is a substantial state interest, Defendants failed to explain how Martin's advocacy of a boycott of Israel has any bearing on George's ability to advance foreign policy goals with Israel. End quote. And there are similar laws to this in 25 states, all of which are even more in question now than they were before. Pro-Israeli apartheid forces are increasingly concerned about BDS because, like South Africa before it, the possibility of economically isolating Israel is not minor, And while Israel has quite a bit of support at the level of major governments, BDS offers a way for the world public, a world of public opinion, which is much more tilted against apartheid, to play an active role in the struggle to end it. As Partnership for Civil Justice Fund Council Marver Hayden Hilliard also stated regarding the ruling, quote, it comes at a crucial moment when millions of Americans are questioning the use of U.S.-provided weapons and the onslaught against against the Palestinian people and makes clear that the Constitution protects participation in the BDS movement, end quote. And this ruling joins similar rejections of BDS laws by courts recently in Arkansas and Texas, and it opens the door for many more challenges to various state-level BDS laws. It is an example, on the one hand, of the links apartheid supporters will go to to hide their brutal crimes, and it's also a testament to the fact that when we fight, we can win. Oh, and P.S., just a quick plug here. Check out The Empire Files with Abby Martin on YouTube or at empirefiles.tv for more information on the Palestinian struggle and many more fantastic and important stories. Nine months after the military overthrew the government in Mali, that country continues to be in a state and turmoil and is back in the news in the past few days because the military has arrested a range of civilian leaders, in the previously military-backed transitional government. Specifically, the president, Ba Ndawa, and Prime Minister Mukhtar Wayne were arrested and are being held at a military base. The arrests seem related to a cabinet reshuffle that left two of the military's preferred choices out in the cold. The two officials who were pushed out had been in the defense and security ministries, and it isn't exactly clear why they were left out, but it seems to be that the transitional government was looking to respond to accusations that they were not truly pursuing a transitional path, but just covering up for a military dictatorship. And it's not maybe 100% off base, since clearly the transitional government was set up more or less at the sufferance of the military that was obviously the real power. And this all comes as there's been an uptick in the conflicts in the northern and central regions of Mali, particularly during Ramadan, by the way. And these are related to conflicts that have really been raging since 2013, although they have much deeper roots than that. There's also been a major civil servant strike recently over unpaid wages. So obviously, the situation in Mali continues to be quite tumultuous and it continues to be quite difficult for many people. It's worth noting that the coup in last August really came about because of deep unhappiness in the direction of the country which had been marked by huge mass protests. Mali's government, essentially a neo-colony of France, presides over deep poverty, 45% of the country lives in poverty, by the way, and a significant lack of opportunity for a country that is mostly young people. And this has combined with the legacy uh, conflicts existing between various ethnic groups, which are exacerbated by colonial borders and a climate change-driven conflict between herders and pastoralists over water and land. The military, backed by France and the U.S., has taken a heavy hand to these conflicts, has accumulated their own record of human rights abuses, and in and of themselves, really helped drive the dissatisfaction with what's going on in the country. And when the military sees power, they claim to be trying to speak to some of these popular grievances, but so far have done nothing to really change the status quo. What happens from here? Well, it's not 100% clear. The U.S., the EU, and the Economic Community of West African States, or ECOWAS, is pressuring the military junta to return the previous transitional plan. So far, they haven't been 100% uh, open to that. But either way, it seems, unfortunately, the people of Mali are unlikely to see much transformative change in the near term. (laughs) The 12-member Guardian Council, which vets presidential candidates for Iran's election, has released what may be the final list of approved candidates for the June elections, winning down the nearly 600 candidates who applied to seven. Unsurprisingly, the council approved no names from the so called reformist camp and has set up a contest between varying shades of so called hardliners. The candidates are the incumbent Judiciary Chief Ibrahim Raisi, the Secretary of the Expediency Council Motion Rezai, former nuclear negotiator Saeed Jalili, Deputy Parliament Speaker Amir Hussein. Hashimi, the former vice president, uh, Moshe Marasladeh, and the central bank governor, Abdul Nasser Hamati, and a lawmaker, Ali Reza Zakhani. So those are the seven. Raisi is considered to have the inside track here, definitely the front runner. Several prominent candidates actually withdrew prior to the final list being announced and endorsed him. Raisi has, has however, stated that he is attempting to get more candidates approved for the election to widen the choices. And while it's unclear if this can actually happen, he's very influential. He's actually thought to be one of the most likely candidates to be the next supreme leader. So one or two more candidates may sneak in due to his influence. He's been stressing unity in particular, running as an independent, and stressing that he wants to address major economic issues like corruption and income inequality. And during the period of sanctions, these have been major concerns for many Iranians, as speculators and people with connections appear to be profiting, and prospering off the misery of others in the sanctioned, pinched economy. Raisi, as the head of the judiciary, has been leading his own corruption campaign for the past few years, with this broader theme as well behind it. All of the candidates are known to be critical of negotiations with the West, arguing that they've produced almost nothing for Iran, and revealed that the U.S. and EU cannot be trusted. The Guardian Council's decision seemed to reflect that the broader political consensus inside of the Iranian establishment is definitively turning against any deeper concessions to the West to escape sanctions and more towards a policy of working with countries like China and India. This all comes as negotiators in Vienna addressing the Iran nuclear deal from a range of different countries are leaking to the press that a deal seems possible, maybe even close. While the truth of all that is not quite clear, some of it actually seems like perhaps pre-Iranian election posturing. It does seem that the negotiating framework is going to change fairly soon, unless there's a deal in the next few weeks, which doesn't seem that likely, given the broader context of what they have to negotiate. As I've stated before on the show, that the U.S.'s preferred option is almost certainly not to return to the deal. And it seems almost certainly they're hoping to kick the ball into the long grass and hoping that the Iranian election's helps change the calculus and makes it easier for them to not be pursuing any deal because they say, oh, they're just hardliners and they don't want to negotiate. But the U.S. opened the negotiations with the current government that does want to negotiate and return to the deal by demanding things they knew Iran would never agree to, notably restrictions on their foreign policy and non-nuclear missile programs. It seems most likely that what the U.S. really wants is lower tensions with Iran, but also to maintain the the option to just ratchet up tensions really quickly or ratchet them down again after that. But uh, ultimately, they don't want to be put into a deal which would straightjacket them. It would say that you have to do X in response for Y. So in other words, they don't really want Trump's maximum pressure campaign, but they want the option for maximum pressure in order to try to get the greatest number of concessions from Iran moving forward. Either way, it's clear that the U.S. pulling out of the Iran deal and Europe refusing to abide by it has turned the political scene in Iran away from cooperation and into a posture, one that's frankly pretty understandable, that there will just only inevitably be more permanent confrontation between the two sides. The big question surrounding Iran's presidential election at this point seems to be turnout, and whether or not large numbers will come out to vote and ratify the fact that there appears to be a strong consensus in large parts of the country to change policy regarding the approach to Western sanctions. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom.